0: welcome to the bow on our planet podcast uh, today we have uh tim masrana bob mcgee and kevin Conlin, and uh today we are going to be talking about hunting traditions all things that get everybody excited in the fall um i know i personally like i, I can't half the fun's hunting the other half is you know the, the hunt camp environment so um yeah, it's it's it's, uh, it's always exciting this time of year, and I know you guys have some great trips that you do and, and been doing for a very long time. So yeah. tell us about what you do, Kevin. Well,
2: I, um, I'm i just getting ready here, packing up, getting my stuff ready to go to the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. Uh, I've been going up there, I believe this year is year number 36 for me and my buddy. Uh, years ago, we started working together on the fire department in Detroit. We started hunting together, and I've been hunting with him ever since. And uh, uh, I go up a little bit early, do some bow hunting, and then on November fifteenth, it switches over to gun hunting. And I enjoy both of them immensely. But mostly, I like, you know, just going up there and being with my friends. And yeah. and uh, it's amazing the uh, the camp when we first started out years and years and years ago. There, you know, there was a uh, no gas i mean we were we were using the mantles with the coleman mantles if you're familiar with those you just have to punt those up i know to get some some fire and uh that would be the light the light dim light we had a uh a wood stove that that leaked constantly so you had to be always putting logs on the fire you would go to sleep in about two hours it'd be down to like just ashes? Twenty degrees in the cabin. <laughs> and you get up. You get up, and you you breathe in smoke. You know your your breath. You can see your breath. And it's like, who let the fire go out? You know, it's like. And of course, everybody's had a few beers before they go to bed. So, um, to the way it is now. I mean, we're getting older, so we're we're getting spoiled now. We have a generator that runs electric lights, and we've got airtight uh heating system. We this year our newest thing is we actually put in a. Thirty-gallon hot water tank, so we could actually take showers. But you know, it's got it's got still got the outhouse, so that's you know, if you got to go, you got to get up in the middle of night. No solar panels yet. No solar panels. No, no. (laughs) That we should have them. Uh, But just you know, when I first started going up there, there was literally myself, my buddy, and a few of the locals. We knew everybody that hunted the area. It's miles and miles of hunting land. There's, I'm not going to lie. There's not a lot of deer, but if you see a deer, you got a chance of getting. back then, you had a chance of getting a big buck. Now things have changed. Uh, you know, there's a lot of wolves. We had a couple of really bad winters where uh, the starvation rate for the deer, you know, there was like 30,000 one year and 50,000 the next year that died of starvation because wow. you know it kind of got overpopulated. And ever since then, it's been pretty low population of deer.
0: Yeah. So what's so? I mean, you you said it's the UP, and the UP. I mean, it's known for some funky weather. What What's it kind of? I mean, what's it like? I mean, is it predictable at all? Or you do when when you're packing up, are you like, I'll take some shorts and I'll take some pants, <laughs> well, and you know, what 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 do you do? I can and tell you, like,
2: I can tell you two things about the Upper Peninsula weather that will kind of sum it all up. So, in my younger day, I went out in. I'll never forget, I got up in the morning and got dressed and went out and it was probably about 35 degrees or so, you know. Went out hunting Uh, and and when we hunt, we go out into our blind and we usually hunt from morning till dark. I'm in that blind, especially the first three days, we would spend all day in the blind. So I went out, by 10 o'clock in the morning, I was down to my t-shirt and just my hunting pants on because it was about 50 degrees and the mosquitoes had come out and everything else. By noon, it had started to rain. By one o'clock, it had turned to sleet. By three o'clock, it was snowing like crazy. We're what? about we're about five miles off Lake Superior. So we we're still lit- on the same day. Same day. Five miles off of Lake Superior, again, lake effect snow at 3 o'clock, and it was coming down. And by the time it got dark and I walked in, I was walking through a foot of snow. No way. Woke up the next morning, three feet of snow on the were, ground.
0: Were you prepared for that? I mean, Always. All right.
2: Always. My friend told me right from the beginning, when I first started going up there, he says, this is no place to play around. You need to be prepared for anything. And and quite honestly, you know, in my younger days, I used to go out and walk, you know stock and stuff I'd walk all day and I would carry a pack with me with emergency stuff because you could literally get in trouble out there back in those
0: days what did you what did you used to carry with you
2: uh I would carry you know fire starting stuff I would carry uh extra you know blankets to keep warm something to make a shelter if I had to uh you know some candy bar some water mm-hmm. stuff that if I had to hunker down overnight and And I would always carry extra shells in case I had to crack. We had a kind of a thing if I, you know, if you're in trouble, crack off three rounds, wait a while, crack off three more. Um, Because sometimes that's the only thing you could hear up there is the gunshots, you know. And, uh, but the one thing you find out is when there's a lot of snow on the trees, those gunshots don't carry that far. They muffle. Yeah, they muffle, and it's hard to tell what direction they're coming from. But anyway, yeah, I would would be prepared, you know. And, of course, layered clothing and... um, I had a friend of mine teach me when I was young that cotton kills, so I wouldn't wear, I would not wear blue jeans or anything with cotton. It really? was, Oh, yeah, cotton kills in the cold once it gets wet. But wool, on the other hand, if it gets wet, you can stay warm.
0: So it's the I, first time I ever heard that. Oh,
2: yeah. Yeah, if you do any kind of uh, winter camping or winter hunting or anything, that's a saying, cotton kills. Because let's say you have blue jeans on, those things get wet they're not going to dry, and they're not going to keep heating on you. Where if you had the same pair of pants and they were wool, even if they're wet, you're going to be able to keep heat in. And now, nowadays, they've got...
0: Synthetic. They've got they, all the yeah.
2: new... Yeah, they've got really fantastic outfits for you to wear and stuff like yeah. that. So, But yeah, another uh, quick story about the weather. So I was up there, and this was just a couple years ago, and uh, they were talking about the winds were gonna be 50 to 60 mile an hour gusts. And I'm like, well, I'm not going out in there because literally the, you know, there's trees breaking out there absolutely. and branches falling and everything. And they said there was gonna be 20 to 30 foot waves on Lake Superior. So I was wow. like, I was like, you know what? I'm going out to see these 30, 20, 30 foot waves on Lake, you know. That's something I'm you don't see gonna, every day. Yeah, I'm not yeah, gonna hunt. Absolutely. So I go out to Lake Superior to look at the waves and what do I find? Guys out there in wetsuits Surfing.
3: surfing <laughs> In it's hunting season. November 18th. Oh, my up there, gosh. And I,
2: I went up there. I, I had my camera. I'm filming them. I got it on film. I put it on Facebook, and I get talking talk to these guys. They had drove up. They had driven up from uh, uh, all the way from the Detroit area up there just because they had heard the weather report. And they said by the end of the day, there'll be 100 guys up here surfing. No way. I go, you guys are nuts, man. But I will say this. They were paddling out you know way out and they'd get on a wave and they were riding a, a, probably a quarter mile on a wave you know no way but uh it was it was nuts and the wind and you know what i don't care they, their face was exposed and it was cold man i go you guys are nuts
0: what but, um what's what's the most amount of snow that you've seen up there that three feet
2: no we had one year when i went up i went up to uh halfway up and and had dinner with a friend of mine in calcaska michigan Mm -hmm. which normally to leave from Kalkaska to get to where i hunt would be about uh probably five hours it took me 15 hours to get to the camp because it starts they closed the highway so i couldn't use the highway when i got to the bridge the bridge was closed i had to wait for uh Sometimes they do convoys across a bridge. I had to wait for that. And then I literally drove. I was afraid to stop because it was snowing so hard. And some of these truck drivers just keep barreling through. And I really didn't know where the road was. I'm afraid I wouldn't get off the road far enough and get plowed, you know, because you could not see. But that year... We had four and a half feet of snow. Wow. It was crazy. Were you
0: even able to get back to we the had, property? Or?
2: No, We had what we had to do is we had to find some local guy that, you know, up there, those people live it, so they're
1: prepared sure. for it. Hey guys, Dave from the Bowhunter Planet Podcast. We're looking for cool hunting stories from you. We want to hear your story. If you have a cool story and you want to submit it for a chance to be featured on the podcast, send us an email at team at bowhunterplanet.com with your story there's a good chance you could be invited onto the podcast. Hey, enjoying the hunt. If I'm remembering right, I was probably 14, maybe 15 years old, the first time someone questioned why I hunt. It was a little girl from down the street. She could see my deer hanging on the backside of our home as she walked to the bus stop that morning. It was a small six-point I had taken the evening before, my second buck with a bow. Dad and I had plans to skin and process it after school that day. I don't remember the extent of what she said exactly. In fact, I probably toned her out after she started using words like cruelty and murder to divine hunting. And I remember I wasn't embarrassed and I certainly wasn't ashamed of my accomplishment as she had launched a barrage of insults at me. I wasn't mad at her. I didn't feel the same hate for her that she had for me at that moment. What I really thought is, how on earth could someone not support honey? A couple of decades later, I realized that maybe we do have something in common with that little girl at the bus stop that morning. That's our love for wildlife, the beauty of nature, and how passionate we are about preserving this great resource and passing it on to our next generation. I think the difference is nobody's ever shown her, or she just hasn't taken the time to learn what hunting really is, the importance of conservation, and how important it is for the future of wildlife. She may view this as a cold, heartless act of aggression towards animals and a bloodlust for killing all the wildlife until there's nothing left, but we know that isn't what hunting's all about at all. In fact, it's the exact opposite. We're proud of our heritage. We're thankful for the generations before us that gave us these opportunities. At the turn of the century, wildlife populations were on the decline in North America. Laws were written, hunting seasons were established, and now, now hunters became the conservationists. Placing an excise tax on licenses and equipment have provided billions to successful wildlife restoration efforts, creating and protecting new habitat, including our lakes, our rivers, our parks, and all the fish and wildlife that inhabit them. It's not in our best interest to destroy wildlife. We're a part of nature. We coexist. Every store, restaurant, gas station, fast food chain on every corner in any town you've ever been to supplies you, the consumer, pre-packaged meat. Let's not sugarcoat it. That animal was slaughtered. It died so you could eat it. Hunting isn't for everyone, and that's fine. But take comfort in knowing that the future of that animal depends on the continued support of the sportsmen and women who do. So I challenge you, I invite you to come into the woods with me. See wildlife the way I do. Listen to the turkeys gobble off their roosts. Feel the excitement as a buck chases a doe out in front of your stand with its nose to the ground. Better yet, sit in a blind as a youth hunter takes their first deer, catches that first fish, is finally able to put a meal on the table for their family. I don't hunt because I hate wildlife. I hunt because I love wildlife, because their well-being is dependent on our efforts, and I can't think of anything more meaningful than passing that love for the outdoors onto the next generation.
0: You want to get out there, you want to be a part of it. It's about the love, the passion for the outdoors. You know, we're making our property better. We're trying to improve our hunting. We're, we're working on it all year long. It's not a. Show up in October and hunt a few times. And this is a passion that that we have. We can turn it off. You know, it's twelve months a year, nonstop. <laughs>
1: Solid favor get a kid outdoors enjoy what mother nature gave to us and you know what help grow this heritage as us hunters all we have is each other
2: we found a guy that had a plow on the front of his truck one of those uh you know like like, those wedge plows wedge plow yeah yeah. yeah, and he we paid him and he plowed us back to the camp and then we had to we had to dig the door open to get into the camp and everything and then and uh we didn't see no deer that year <laughs> <laughs> they were buried i mean it was it was i took snowshoes and uh even going out in my snowshoes i was sinking in the snow like you know two or three feet just to get out to my blind was a was a uh difficult you yeah. know, situation and of course i did see one i'm I, I should take that back i saw one deer it was a doe and she was running through the snow and every time she hit the ground, the, the only thing sticking out was her head. Are you it serious? Was right up wow. to her chest. She was bounding through the snow.
0: That's crazy. I've never been in hunting conditions like yeah. that. Well, the
2: thing crazy. is, where we hunt, it, they actually say usually, and that's probably why we didn't see any deer, the deer know that's coming, and they migrate out of the area.
0: Okay.
2: Uh, they move to the center of the Upper Peninsula in, in the cedar swamps and stuff like that. Oh. And uh, if you catch it just right and you know where to go, you can catch that migration and I guess that's really something to see. You see that's like, pretty cool. hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of deer like, just passing through, heading to the yeah. cedar swamps. I've never been fortunate enough to see it. I don't even really know where the pathways are, but they're there.
0: Very cool. You said you. you I mean, there's a wolf population up there. I mean, it's pretty well known now, but have you seen wolves up there?
2: Oh, yeah, I've seen wolves. I've seen... Uh, um, I saw... I saw one wolf by itself one year. Uh, then I saw two that I jumped and they took off. And then a few years back, I saw a pack of six wolves. Wow. And they were within 30, 40 yards of me. I mean, they didn't know I was there. I was sitting in my ground blind. And, uh, you know, and I've seen the first one. I'm like, oh, wow, that's pretty cool, a wolf, you know. I was kind of happy to see it. <laughs> then I saw two more coming up behind them. I'm like, okay, there's three. And then all a sudden, I saw some more movement, and I'm like, Holy cow, there's like six of these things going by. I'm like, now I don't want them to see me, yeah, you know. Yeah. A
3: little fast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was just
2: sitting there watching them and they were The first one was kind of, you know, a big dark black one. He looked pretty cool. Then the next two were these gnarly looking like a blonde color. They were ugly looking, man. I was like,
0: "Oh, man. <laughs> Love it."
2: And they were they were definitely hunting. hunting. They were definitely hunting. They were moving like uh like a military patrol. One would move, then another one would move, and then two would move together and they were like stalking and keeping
0: and, formation.
2: Yeah, and so that's the last I saw. I saw them and that's the last I saw of any deer. I didn't see another deer for I hunted a whole another five days solid morning till night and never no. saw a deer. Wow. Yeah, went out and you know, we had snow, started looking for tracks, no, them deer they were moving out away from the wolves for sure
0: yeah yeah it sounds like it
2: so what about you bob you got uh, any hunting traditions where you go
3: a lot of them yeah yeah uh my wife's family owns a place that's about 40 miles northeast of traverse city and it's outside a little town up in the northwestern part of the, the lower peninsula called mancelona
2: oh you get a lot of snow there
3: too don't you, you you're in the snow belt We don't get as much as you were talking about, but it isn't uncommon to go to bed at night, get up in the morning and find maybe a foot, foot and a half of snow on the ground.
2: To me, that's the best, too. I love it. Yeah.
3: I love it. Um, I started going to this hunt camp when I met my wife, and that was back when I was in my early 20s, 21, 22 years old.
2: Man, that's a long time
3: ago. It is. It is, when you stop and think about it, it it's. I'm glad, 40, glad you said that. <laughs> 40, 40 something years. <laughs> and at the time, everybody in her family my wife, my mother in law, my father in law, her three brothers they all hunted.
2: Oh, that's awesome.
3: So I got involved with uh, going up for hunting season, archery, rifle. And it it just continued over the years, and to this day, it's one of the, the most favorite times of the year for me, because it was family getting together, and as the kids, my son, my nieces, my nephews, they all got older, they were involved in it. And it was just something where everybody was together.
2: That's it. Family yep. tradition. In mm-hmm.
3: family time, everybody cooked. You my mother in law was like the hen of the camp. If she wasn't out hunting, she was in the cabin making making stews and, and soups and
2: did you guys eat the deer hearts? Yeah. Oh wow.
3: Yeah. Yep. That that was a tradition. Uh the first deer that somebody got, we sliced up the venison heart, pan fried it in uh butter and onions. Yeah. And put it on rye bread. And it, it, to this day, it's one of the best things I've ever had.
2: Really? Yep. See?
0: Gonna, I have never tried that. I either.
2: have not either. Yeah. I keep telling myself I'm going to do it. and Oh, it's fantastic. Yeah. I, funny thing, I, 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 I killed a deer one time, and I gutted it. And... Up where I hunt, we had the, a, a gentleman who was uh, who lived up there since he was a child. His family homesteaded back in the 1800s. Wow. And he was uh, an old Finlander. His name was Toivo Mackie, And uh, Toivo always wanted the heart and the liver. So I gutted my deer, and then I was going to go hang it by, he used to let us hang, hang our deers in his shed, and I forgot the heart and the liver, you know? So I was only gone like, like, seven, eight minutes. I said, Oh shoot, I gotta go back and yeah. I turned around, went back and them damn ravens were on my carcass already. They didn't take nothing but the heart and the oh, liver. No
0: way. Yeah, everything
2: <laughs> else was there. I'm like, them son of a guns took the yeah. heart and the liver. They know what's they good. Know. They yeah. know. They know what's good, man. And uh, you know, by you usually, you know, within a day or two everything's gone. But boy, they came they came and they grabbed that heart and liver and off they went with it, you know. So I had to go tell Toy for he's like, Where's the heart? I'm like yeah, the ravens got it. Whoa, what's, what the we're, shit's we're, the matter with you?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I asked for one thing.
3: <laughs> one you, thing.
0: You god dang <laughs> apple knockers don't know
3: what you're doing out here. What kind of hunters oh, are you? <laughs> I love it. And our, our hunting camp was similar to where you and Dan were going. When you uh-huh. first started going, all it was was a, a square room with concrete floor. Yeah, And yeah. it was heated by a wood stove. And over the years, as as we got older and the kids started growing up a little bit, we we put additions onto it, put water into it, brought propane heat into it, running water. Yeah. And it, it's like, I can't believe what we used to do. We used to we used to butcher the deer on the kitchen table.
2: Yeah, I believe it. I know that. Toivo used to do it. He, he called it his operating room.
3: <laughs> I love
2: it. I had some great stories about him. You know, he's gone. God rest his soul now. But, man, you talk about learning the history of the upper peninsula with, uh, and I mean, he had been a, uh, a miner, a lumberer, uh, just all kinds of things. And he taught me and my friend Dan so much about hunting. And, uh, uh, you know, he is your own personal Fred bear. Yeah. He, he walked around those woods. Like I walked around the city of Detroit. I mean, I was a, a, a medic and a firefighter and I knew my, I grew up in Detroit. I knew my way around the streets to stay safe. And I didn't know nothing about you know the. I I didn't know enough about wilderness you know mm-hmm. I've been in I'd camped and all that, but wilderness is a different thing. And he, he taught us so much. One day he took us out on a walk you know we're walking and me and Dan are following like the couple of cabooses you know, we get out in the middle of nowhere and he goes, okay, which way do we go to get back you know and neither one of us we're looking at our compass neither one of us are doing anything he's like. What the shit you gonna do if I had a heart attack <laughs> out here? <laughs> he goes, You don't go nowhere out here without a compass, you know? And it was like like me and Dan are looking at each other like, you know, he's right. What yeah. is, if he dropped all three of us are gone? gone. man. Done. <laughs> so I learned oh. from that time on to always carry a compass and then I learned the hard way to always carry two. <laughs>
0: yep. Wow. So. so you you I mean the UP, right? You've seen a lot of changes. Oh yeah. I'm sure up there. Yeah. What uh I mean, obviously there's the property and like the building and upgrades and all that stuff, but I'm sure I mean like just wildlife wise.
2: Yeah, well they introduced the wolves. I would say that's been a big change. And that's
0: and, been and, that's been a while now though, hasn't yeah, it? Yeah, you know it's been and, probably fifteen fifteen years or so.
2: Yeah, at least. And the yeah. people I, I will tell you the locals up there are not happy with the results. I mean yeah, you get to see wolves now and then, but you know, um, you know, they the DNR, of course, says, oh, it's not the wolves that are knocking down the population, but it, it's a combination of a lot of things. You know, like I said, those deer have to yard up in the winter time. Well, they mm-hmm. can't run. The wolf mm-hmm. pack can just come in and and take, and and then uh, and the coyotes too. You know, when uh, when the deer are in the spring, if they, you know, sometimes the snow doesn't leave until middle of may or even right. later and and when it's like that and they're dropping fawns they're just you know sitting ducks for these predators and there's no hunting season on them they're protected by the federal government and uh and uh, they did have one season but i think i think they estimated there was well, they 300 take, wolves and they took five they took six or, six, or something like that yeah. you know like,
0: yeah, I think they—they they, they, think they gave up more licenses than that, but that's all that was. Right. Well, who knows? Recorded, you know, so, we're Michiganders.
2: Yeah. You don't know how to hunt wolves. Exactly. Who knows how to hunt a yeah. wolf? You know. Yeah. It's—it's uh, it's, you know you probably got a better chance of trapping one than you would have of uh, getting one. You know, hunting it. Like right. I said, I've been going up there for every year. I've seen that one wolf pack, and I've seen a, a wolf here and there. But for the, mo- I hear them at night. You hear them you know but you don't mm-hmm. really see them they're pretty elusive
0: so what's the big what's the biggest deer that you've guys seen in, during your 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 hunting camps mm-hmm.
2: well i got one hanging on the wall out there that's an eight point that looks like it was bought out of a store it's it's a perfect eight i mean and you know i don't know what it scores but you know for a michigan deer it's a pretty nice deer and, yeah
0: It is a great deer to take. Absolutely.
3: And it's it's funny that you brought up that question because getting my stuff together for this upcoming rifle hunt, I found an orange hat, and on the inside of the hat has the year that I took the largest deer that I've ever taken from up at the cabin, and that was an eight-point, which was probably about uh, 115, 120,
0: I thought you were gonna say years
2: yeah. ago. About twenty years ago, <laughs> about about twenty years ago, about a mile from where I hunt, a twenty-three pointer was taken. Really? Yeah.
0: I'm not uh, on a ranch. I'm, I'm, no, no, I'm, no. This I'm was open open a this was private, a s- or public, but not swamp a, buck that came really? up out of the
2: swamp, and some guy was lucky enough to connect. It was no gnarly narrowly looking. It had drop tines, and it had all kinds of well, kickers if it and everything. Twenty-three in there, you kind of have.
0: To, yeah, man. it was.
2: It was. You know, they it's like had Christmas the, tree. They had the picture in the paper, and it was just a gnarly looking, wow, dark, dark looking. You know, it probably lived in the swamp and just yeah. And then up where out.
3: our cabin is, you know, we've got a hundred acres, and if you're not food plotting stuff, there just isn't the vegetation to get big deer. Yeah. And several years ago, they started the APR. Mm-hmm. And
0: explain that though for people that don't know it.
3: APR was set up in the north western counties of the lower peninsula and that's antler point uh, restriction Mm -hmm. rules and for a long time if it had spike no matter what size horns people were shooting them just because you didn't see big deer and over I'd say the last six seven years that the APR has been in uh, existence they're just starting to get the deer to where they're their eights and tens, and they're scoring probably 130 to 150. So it it, it does make a difference. Uh, do I believe in it? That could be a whole nother, uh, whole nother uh, podcast. Yeah. yeah.
0: That's more about deer management though at that point. Yeah. So, yeah. And
3: I, I'm a believer that the hunters should manage their you know, if you if you feel like a spike is something that... A trophy to you, mm-hmm. meat on the table, go for it.
0: Mm-hmm. You
3: yeah. know, for somebody to come out and tell you that you can't take a a six-point or a, a four-point or that, I don't agree with it.
2: Right. Yeah, the problem, I mean, I the problem that I see with it is, for example, so over the years... Just to put my kids through college and make a living and everything, I worked two jobs. And sometimes, like you talk about, you know, the only vacation you could get was hunting. Well, I, would, right. I couldn't take all hunting vacation because I had a family. I had to take them on vacation too. So sometimes my four or five days yeah. i got to hunt was that was it right you know, yeah. the rest and of the and time i'm see, working and, get, and and then i got to go out yeah. there and you're telling me that it's got to be an eight point for me right. to that spike that four point and whatever would, might be the only quite deer honestly you if, if that was the case in the 20 let's say 30 years that i've been hunting in the upper peninsula i probably could have shot about three deer because you just don't see that when you i haven't right. seen hardly any deer in the last five years and uh, and I hunt hard, but it's just it's just a matter of you know the population's way down, and and you don't see them, you know. Hopefully this year, you know, Dan says he's seeing sign, but he tells me that every year I think the enticement <laughs> to come it's back, a, it's, it's,
3: it's, which I'm going to come back no matter gets you what. In, but that gets you up there.
2: but uh, you know the thing is is uh, you know I sometimes I just want to put some meat on my table, you know. Yeah. It's easy to be a an APR proponent when you've got. Eighty acres in the middle of farm country, and and you can go out and shoot a doe. Like where I hunt, there is no doe season. So. Oh really? No, you can't shoot doe where in the, in. Uh, okay. There's only a few counties in the upper peninsula that allow you to shoot does. They're
3: more the southern. Uh, the southern, southern counties counties in the farming farm
2: farming area, but like where I hunt, there's no does. It's buck only.
0: Wow, that's a lot different than where I hunt because where I hunt, yeah. there is a huge huge population of those right huge right.
2: yeah and not where well again it's weather you know the, yeah. it's it's rough up there i mean this, oh, is, absolutely. this is the I'm real deal on, i
0: for, I, you know, I didn't know that was up in the up like that so. yeah yeah
2: there's only a three or four count you know well i don't know how many counties there are now but up where i hunt near lake superior and there's no no taking of those at all so uh i think you can do it with a bow but not with gun okay so you know like i said you know a dough wasn't an option for me right so you know i've taken four points i've taken spikes but you know what i put meat on the table and that's, that's, right. that's what it's that's all just about. the way it is you know and so to tell me that yeah you got to wait for an eight point or a six point
0: yeah they're basically forcing you to trophy hunt yeah right at that point yeah which I think change, which which goes goes against what you want to do as a hunter.
2: Yeah. Well, and you know what, maybe that's okay for certain areas, sure. just I I don't like the idea of the whole state being that, you know. The other thing I don't want to see happen is like in some of the other states where they have that that a deer becomes a cash crop. Mhm. You know. Oh, can I hunt your farm? Sure. Give me $10,000, yeah. you know, if you shoot a deer, I want I want $5,000 and stuff like that, you know, like right now these farmers are like, "Hey, Come on and hunt them cause I don't want my crops destroyed, yeah, but all of a sudden you make the deer more valuable than the crops then what's gonna happen to Michigan. It'd be like Texas anywhere you go, it's all fenced in, and you gotta have uh you know you better have a big wallet to shoot some of those deer yeah. so but you know there are certain i know that there's a lot of people that practice it, and they are seeing bigger deer it does work, so. You know, I'm not locked in one way or another. There's I'm always, kind of I'm always willing to listen to the discussion. But there's a
0: balance. I think the the other. I think one of the huge differences too is is you know the, whether there's a big population of deer. I mean, right. period. I mean, it's not not just about the ant, but like you said, yeah. you can't shoot a doe. Right, yeah. and if you had to wait for an eight point, it would never happen. Right. Um, you know, I'm putting food on my table, but I could take a doe, so I'd right. probably be a little bit more open to an antler antler point restriction in the area that I hunt. Right, only because there's there's enough you know food that I can put on my table.
2: Yeah, there. and quite honestly, when I hunt in the lower part of the state, I I do APR myself. It's yeah. like if I got a choice between taking a four point or a doe, I'm going to yeah. take the doe. I'm not going to take I'm not going to shoot a four point down here when I know I can get a doe.
1: You right. Know? Exactly. so
2: I don't you know I agree with it to that extent you know right. it's like hey you know let that one grow and maybe you know when it gets bigger then I'd consider taking it but um, that's not an option where I hunt right. uh, in the UP right. so but uh, yeah you know like getting back to traditions and stuff like that one of the things I like about you know like I said I don't see many deer anymore over the years there are the times when you've seen a lot of deer and then but uh, just going up there over the years, the things I've seen, I've seen wolves, I've seen bald eagles, I've seen a moose, I've seen bobcat, I've seen porcupine, you know, all the different things I've seen up there, just going out and sitting in the woods for long periods at a time. And sometimes it gets really difficult, especially uh, when it's cold, you know, and, you know, sometimes you're just sitting there and you're
0: just like. Why do I do this to myself? yeah,
2: but, but you know, we kind of talked about it another time how you know, like the first day or two you get out there and you're all antsy and everything, and then I just kind of get into this calmness comes mm-hmm. over me, and I literally I can tell the difference between a mouse and a squirrel and a deer without looking, you right. know what I mean? right you hear the you hear the little noise and you go, okay, that's that's a mouse, you know, and uh, you just. You just become one with it, you know, and then all of a sudden it's like, you hear this twig pop, and you go, "Uh oh, Oh. that's not," you know. You look, and here we go. There we go. You know, game on. You know.
0: Now, do do you do uh, do you do the cooking up there? Because I have to imagine the guys eat very well if you do the cooking. Well,
2: quite honestly, it's uh, my friend that I go with is an amazing chef, and he loves to cook, and he. He takes care of it all, so wow. that's pretty cool. He's that's impressive.
3: A, He's a retired yeah. firefighter too. No, yeah. that's impressive. Pretty, pretty much me, everywhere
2: I go, yeah. I cook, so it's kind of yeah. I like going there because he always. Cooks, See, that's you why know? you
0: really go. <laughs> yeah. That's why I like going with you, though. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, the, the meals that I that I've had that uh, that you've made, uh, absolutely amazing. So yeah,
2: so it's it's fun. Uh, you know, one more thing about like where I go hunting, it's kind of neat. Is there's a a, a deer camp there that goes all the way back to the eighteen hundreds. And now it's like a, a a conservatory, you know. There's no hunting on it, and it's just like, but it's there's a book called The History of Michigan Hunting, and that deer camp is in that book. Really, and it, guys used to come by train up to the Upper Peninsula from Chicago, and then they go by by wagon train out to this deer camp. And there's there's a guy that used to be a wild. He's they call him the father of wildlife photography. His name is George Chirac. And he used to take and he would set up cameras with flash photography that would have trip wires and stuff like that, and he's like one of the first guys that did nighttime photography um back in the eighteen hundreds and there's pictures in that book that he took, and the
0: original trail cam, yes, yeah. exactly
2: <laughs> Very cool. and uh, he's got some amazing photos. if you ever get a chance, check that book out of the library and they show pictures of like the railroad car flatbeds stacked stacked with deer with hundreds of deer and wolves and wow and and just you know just when you go when you go up there and you walk those same grounds and it's just like going back in time you know it just it's like going back in time that's awesome i usually at least take one walk about when i'm up there you know just go off by myself and now that i'm getting older i probably shouldn't be doing it but i still do
0: (laughs) just make sure you bring your compass
2: yeah, two of them.
0: <laughs> <laughs> all right, so with that, I think we're gonna, I think we're gonna call this one, guys. It was, uh, it was some, some good stories, some good traditions. Um, you know, they're, they're, I think everybody kind of has that going on, and you know, I think the one big thing too, and, and everybody should keep in mind, is those kids, right? Getting those kids yeah. into traditions. What it's traditions. all about. So, yeah. um, but with that, we thank you guys for joining us. Uh, you know, thanks for listening to the Bo Hunter Planet Podcast, and we will uh, check us out next time.
2: Yeah, and be safe out there. Have fun.
1: Thanks so much for listening to the Bowhunter Planet podcast. Online at bowhunterplanet.com with your host, Team BHP. Check us out on Facebook at Bowhunter Planet. We'll catch you next time.